Approximately six months ago, on behalf of the deacons, I contacted Davis and provided him those qualifications, those biblical qualifications you just heard, and asked him if he would consider serving as a deacon alongside the uh, deacon body here and for this, for this church. After uh, some self-examination and discussions with, uh, with Heather, he came back and he said, I would be honored to serve as a, as a deacon. In our process, the next step would be a personal interview that Davis would have with an ordination council. And that council was made up, consisted of the pastor and the chairman of the, of the deacons. After that interview with, with Davis, they came back with a unanimous recommendation that we would ordain him as a deacon. But they also discovered during that interview process his desire to be ordained to the ministry. The, the deacon body fully supported that, and a few months ago, he presented his testimony here to the church, and the church voted on that. And that was also unanimous. Davis and his wife, Heather, have one daughter, Riley. He has a undergraduate degree from University of Alabama, but he also has a master's degree from uh, Southwest Theological Seminary. We've heard uh, his testimony a few months ago, but we also want you to hear his heart this morning. So we've asked him to come and to uh, bring a message that the Lord has laid on his heart. Davis. Good morning, church family. If you are uh, hoping to see somebody as beautiful as John Gregory this morning or as wise as Victor Morrison, I apologize because I am not that. Um, Y'all join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you uh, for this morning. Father, we thank you for a church body that we get to gather. Um, Father, we get to study your word. We get to be in community with one another. Father, I just pray over this morning, I pray that as we dive into your word, Father, that you would reveal yourself to us. Father, I pray that as I speak, Father, that my words would be seasoned with salt. Um, Father, I pray that if there's anything that is of me that is spoken this morning, that I pray that it would be forgotten. Um, but Father, if it is of you, I pray that it would be taken to heart and applied to our lives. Father, I pray over this morning, I pray over this message, uh, and we give it all to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as Gary said, uh, I am from Alabama, so I apologize. I'm not a Texan by nature. Um, I went to the University of Alabama uh, back in 2014 through 2018, um, got a business degree there, and then I moved out here to Fort Worth and righteously became a, a Texan. Um, I got my Master's of Theological Studies at Southwestern Seminary, um, and I wrapped that up a few years ago. Um, my wife, Heather, is here uh, in the back, uh, as well as much of my family, um, my, my in-laws, my dad, my mom, uh, and, and many friends as well. So I appreciate them being here. Um, this morning, we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Um, and as we kind of dive into this story, there's several aspects that really stand out 
So we're gonna be talking about Christmas through the eyes of Joseph. And as I was going through this passage, really what stood out to me were three things. One, the righteousness of Joseph. Two, the obedience of Joseph. And then three, the love of the father. And the love of the father being the love of Joseph, but also the love of God the father. So as you're turning there, I'm gonna set my water bottle down because Lord knows I will need it. Uh, And I will ask you to stand with me uh, as we read out of God's word. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, read this. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what, the, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> so as I already stated, uh, there's kind of three, three facets of, of my message this morning. Um, the righteousness of Joseph, the obedience of Joseph, and then the love of the father. Um, we're gonna kind of dive into the righteousness of Joseph uh, first and foremost. So I wanna kind of give you some context as to, to marriage. So as we read this, this passage of text, um, we see that Mary had been engaged to Joseph, right? The process of Jewish marriage was outlined kind of such. Engagement is a, a time in which sons were chosen a wife by their parents, um, and it was arranged. It was an arranged marriage. Betrothal was kind of the second step in which engagement became legal and binding. They were known as husband and wife, and it typically lasted a year. The only way an engagement could be broken was by divorce. So that's why as we see in this passage of scripture, we see that Joseph decided to divorce her secretly because that was the only way that he could break that. And then marriage being the final step, it takes place after the wedding and after the year of betrothal. So now as we kind of dive into this, we kind of have a little bit of context for what marriage engagement betrothal looks like. But the conception of Jesus was by the Holy Spirit. Not by any other means, but by the Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine just for a second, if somebody came to you and said, your wife is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. For myself, I think I might uh, meet that with a little bit of question and I might be like, well, you're crazy. But here we see the beauty of God's redemptive plan and the beauty of God's redemptive program. Charles Spurgeon has a quote and he says, there was no other way of his being born being Jesus for he had been of a sin, for had he been of a sinful father, how should he have possessed a sinless nature? He is born of a woman that he might be human, but not by man that he might not be sinful. 
the beauty of Christ being conceived by the Holy Spirit is that which Jesus could be perfect, right? And he was only conceived by the Holy Spirit because he could be, so he could be sinless. So this is our savior that we get to hope in, a sinless Jesus. A little bit about Joseph. Joseph, uh, who we know to be the stepfather of Jesus, because again, he was not conceived by Joseph and Mary. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is kind of this stepfather figure in Jesus's life. Uh, Joseph, ironically enough, uh, as Victor asked me to preach on Joseph, I was like, oh, sweet, this is great. Well, Joseph's only mentioned 16 times in scripture. So thanks, Victor, appreciate it. Um, No, but, uh, but Joseph is mentioned 16 times in scripture. We know Joseph to be a carpenter. Uh, the Greek word for carpenter as describing Joseph is this word called tecton. Tecton would be the word that would describe somebody that would make doors. They would make shutters, but they're also a type of carpenter that works with wood that would make things like a yoke that would yoke together animals. They're also the kind that would make implements and tools and things of that sort. So as we read later on in scripture and we read about Christ saying, take my yoke upon you, gives a little bit more beautiful of a picture because as Joseph discipled Jesus to become a carpenter, Jesus would have known how to make a yoke, which is pretty dang cool. Uh, Jesus or Joseph at this time and Mary at this time would have been thought to be in their early teens. So they were super, super young, which makes the wisdom and the discernment of Joseph that much more impressive. Matthew verse, uh, Matthew 1 verse 19 um, talks about Joseph being a righteous man. It says, so her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. That word righteous or righteousness in the Greek is dikaios, which typically has an understanding or a definition of being righteous, innocent, just, upright. It's pretty interesting that Matthew chose this word to describe Joseph because Matthew is painting a picture that that Joseph has set out to live a God-fearing life. He has chosen this word because Joseph has decided, and, and before, long before this has happened, he has sought to become a righteous man. I think it's important for us as Christians to remember Romans 3.23, for all, have, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Every single one of us fall into that category, Joseph himself as well. But it's also important for us to realize that as believers in and followers of Christ, our righteousness is not our own. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, he being God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. So as we look at Joseph and as we examine our lives, we know that we, the righteousness that we have in and of ourselves is from God, the father, not from any other place, not from any good doing that I do or you do. It is from God, the father. So as we look at the righteousness of Joseph, I don't want us to be distracted by the fact that, man, Joseph was just such a righteous man. No, 
He was righteous because of what God did through him. So Joseph is, Joseph's righteousness is shown in the way that he sought to deal with the situation. Joseph was brought the situation. He says, hey, your wife, again, they're in the engagement stage. They were known as husband and wife. Your wife is pregnant, but pregnant by the Holy Spirit. At the time, Joseph, I can only imagine being told that his wife is pregnant, knowing that he had not known her intimately. Your wife is pregnant. And so now Joseph has a decision. In this time frame, what normally would have happened in the, in the instance of infidelity is the wife would have been publicly humiliated and more than likely stoned to death. So Joseph had a decision to make. And Joseph chose to divorce her quietly, being righteous and just and upright. Uh, a theologian, uh, his name's Poole, says that their being betrothed was a thing publicly taken notice of, and he could not put her away so privately, but there must be witnesses of it. The meaning, therefore, must be as privately as the nature of a thing would bear. Charles Spurgeon says, when we have to do a severe thing, let us choose the tenderest manner. Maybe we shall not have to do it at all. And I believe this was Joseph's response to the situation, right? He chose to do the tenderest thing that he possibly could, and that was to divorce her quietly. But then as we, as we see, and as I, as I was pondering this, and I was thinking about this, the, the old adage, the old phrase, WWJD, what would Jesus do, popped into my mind, right? And I can only imagine, now, Joseph didn't have the cool little bracelet that says WWJD on it, but I can only imagine that Joseph was in this situation. He was thinking to himself, man, what, what should I do, right? And as we look at the righteousness, the justness of God the Father, as we look at the justness and righteousness of Joseph, he sought to divorce her quietly. He didn't want to publicly humiliate his wife. As we look at God being the example of righteousness, we know that God is just, right? He is going to stand up for the right thing. We know that he is holy. He is completely blameless. He is pure, but he's also gentle. He's kind. He's loving. He's considerate. And he puts others' interests above their own, right? Above his own. And so as we look at Joseph, I think that is a beautiful picture of Joseph exemplifying who God is. He was gentle. He was kind. He was loving. And he put his wife's interests above his own. And I personally think that we can all rip a page out of that book that maybe our response to a situation that is tough or hard, that we can respond in a manner, as Spurgeon says, that we might be, by B, it's okay, um, that we might respond and let us do the, choose the tenderest manner that maybe if we do that, we would not have to do it at all. Kind of the second section that I want to go into is the obedience of Joseph. Um, Matthew 1, verse 20, talking about, um, but after he had considered these things, talking about divorcing Mary, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son 
and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Looking at a biblical definition of what obedience is, I think it's important for us to always look back at scripture. Uh, John 14, 15 says this, it says, if you love me, this is Jesus, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Well, here in the story, we see Joseph receive a command from the angel of the Lord and he responds in obedience. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines obedience as hearing God's word and acting accordingly. What a picture, right? In this story, we hear Joseph hear the word of the Lord by an angel and we see him act accordingly, right? I love that the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and he says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. That verbiage, fear not or be not afraid, is listed 103 times throughout Scripture. So Joseph is told by the angel of God, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Because what is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. The faith required of Joseph to believe that and have faith in that and to trust that is extraordinary. And if you think about this as being a a young teenager and being told, don't be afraid, this is of the Holy Spirit, I can only imagine the fear and the anxiety and the stress of the situation, right? But an angel of the Lord says, do not fear. In today's world, it's kind of funny because in order for us to trust somebody or, uh, or to get a job, right? We have to provide references. <laughs> we have to get background checks. You practically have to give a DNA sample. You get a social security number, right? All of this just so that you can trust someone. But Joseph did not require any of that. Joseph took God at his word and said, I trust you. And so I will not divorce my wife. I will not divorce her quietly. I will trust in you and trust that you are true and you are holy and you are blameless and you are trustworthy. I also think about the situation. Imagine being told that, hey, your son is going to save the world. If somebody told me Riley Kate was gonna save the world, I'd be like, you're crazy. But what a picture. I think it's important for us to note too the fact that God the Father chose Joseph, a sinful man, to become the father of a man that one day would save the world. What a crazy thing, but what a beautiful thing. All throughout scripture, we see God use people in situations in which they are not worthy to even be in the genealogy of God the Father, but yet he uses them. Yet another example of the fact that God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. So as we look at Jesus and we look at Joseph, God qualified Joseph for this job. So Joseph and Mary did what the Lord called them to do. In this, in this passage of text, as we look at Matthew, this is, this is more so telling us where Jesus came from. If you look at Luke chapter two, that tells you more of the birth of Jesus and how it went about. So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to look at Luke chapter two. Um, but man, the obedience of Joseph to hear the word of the Lord and to respond accordingly. 
kind of my last section that I want us to go through is the love of a father. The love of a father being the love of God the Father, number one, to send his son. But number two, the love of a father being Joseph, who is loving his son, who is actually not in and of him, but he is of God the Father, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph responds and says, I am going to love this child as if it is my own. It says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the, Lord, the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. There are two fathers in this story one that we read about and then one that we do not read about, but we can fill in the blanks here. Number one being God the Father, the love of God the Father. John 3, 16, we've all heard it, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to live on this earth in human form. He was perfect and he was blameless. And he did that so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What a picture. Isaiah 7, 14 says that, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, sh and shall call his name Emmanuel. We have the picture, we have the prophecy in Isaiah of the fact that one day God will send a sign. He will send a sign and the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. First John 4, 9 says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's where we are today, that we get to live through Jesus, not through any other means, but through Jesus. Second, in the story, we see the love of Joseph, Right? Think about this. I mentioned it earlier. God's redemptive plan. When I say his redemptive plan, his plan for salvation for all of us was through a man, a sinful man, who would then take ownership of a child that was not his own, raise him up, disciple him, steward the gift of life that is Jesus. And this was all a part of God's plan. That's pretty wild. Joseph's response to this command and to this challenge of being the father of, of Jesus, the, the, the spotless lamb that would come, that would live a perfect life and that would one day die on a cross for our sins. Joseph's response to, to that was, here I am, Lord, send me. While in this passage, we only see Joseph's righteousness and obedience. In other places in scripture, we see the links that Joseph took to take care of Jesus right? He was in Galilee and they had to go to Bethlehem. It was over a 70 mile journey. And Joseph was willing to put his wife on a donkey and to make that trek so that the prophecy could be fulfilled. The obedience of Joseph. I can't help but think as we go through this story, I can't help but think about the impact that Joseph would have had on Jesus, right? So as Jesus was, was growing up, we see throughout scripture that Jesus was a carpenter, for 30 years. And when he was 30, he was baptized by John the Baptist and was and just started his ministry. 
So for those first 30 years, we see, we see Jesus as a carpenter, which he learned from his father, Joseph. Now it's estimated that, that Joseph passed away at some point before Jesus's ministry took place, which would probably be in about Joseph's teens. But we see that Joseph passed on what he did, right? He passed on the carpentry, the, the, the Greek word here is tekton. Tekton being the guy that makes the doors, the windows, the yokes, right? Architecton, which was another Greek word, which means kind of like a, uh, which where we get the word architect would be like a general contractor, somebody that oversees, right? But Joseph was just a tekton. He was a lowly carpenter, right? But we see Jesus stepping into that. And I have no doubt as we look at how Jesus responds to certain situations, I'm sure that he probably learned a lot of that from his father, Joseph. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That has a little bit different meaning when you think about the trade that Joseph would have learned from, or sorry, that Jesus would have learned from his father, Joseph. Ephesians 2, 19 through 21 say, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's also thought that carpenters in this time would also have been masons. They would have been stone workers, right? So there's no doubt in my mind that, that Joseph has also passed on this, this idea of being a Mason, this trade. So as we read about Christ being the cornerstone, he no doubt had an idea of how stones would go together and how the cornerstone was so pivotal for a building to be built upon. Man, I just had another little epiphany pop in my head, right? Jesus talks about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, if you think about a building, you have to go through a door, do you not? Every single one of us in this, in this sanctuary came through a door. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Jesus was the carpenter that used to make doors. Wow. That's pretty cool. As we kind of, as I kind of wrap this up, um, I don't want us to glaze over the, the beauty of a father. I don't want us to, to skip over the beauty of Joseph taking a child that is not his own and loving on him and shepherding him and discipling him. I don't want to glaze over the fact that God the Father also shepherded and discipled and loved and cared for his son, Jesus. Uh, I asked some of the guys that I work with out at Pine Cove, um, to tell me what their father or their stepfather had taught them. And I want to read you some of their responses. My dad taught me a lot about working hard and not expecting anything in return, not doing things to get anything back, but doing them to help and serve, not working out of pride, but out of love. Another one said, my father was always training me to always be aware and make quality decisions. Although at the time I couldn't really see that or understand why he was so strict on me. My father has a hard way of showing love and care. He wasn't taught that way of loving because his father didn't model that well. I've learned a lot over the years and will use some of what he taught me, but I can improve on the way that I show my family love in ways that my father couldn't. 
But I am so fortunate, though, for my dad being a constant rock in my life and giving me what his father couldn't. Another said, joy through suffering. I've learned joy through suffering. He says, I think, he says, just as he suffered in his last years, he maintained his joy through prayer, reading the word, laughter, etc. He taught me that God has a purpose for all things. During his time in the hospital, he would say that God wanted him to share the gospel to the nurses and doctors there. He taught me that hard work is, is, is a very important thing. Nothing was too hard or underneath him to put food on the table. This is this last one is one that is, is pretty dang impressive in light of what we're talking about. The thing my stepdad taught me was the importance of being there even when it wasn't his responsibility to do so. Joseph, when we think about Jesus, Joseph sought to be there for Jesus, even though it wasn't his son. I remember him, my dad, I remember him singing a song at church when I was a child called, He Wasn't His Son. It was about Joseph caring for Jesus. Sometimes when we care for someone who is not our direct responsibility, we are doing what God would have us do, like the Good Samaritan. So as we think about the Christmas story, and as we think about um, the love of the Father, as we think about the love of God the Father, as we think about the love of Jesus that would come and live on this earth, die on a cross for our sins, and one day save us from our sins, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact of the love of the Father, because ultimately that is why all of us are here. Um, I know for myself, my father is sitting right here in this room um, and my dad taught me what integrity looks like. He taught me what character looks like. He taught me what it looks like to pursue the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. He taught me what being a man looks like. And so as I stand here today uh, and, and we've got these fancy certificates over here and that's all exciting and whatnot, I, I just want us to recognize that number one, God the Father loves us more than anything in this whole world. He loved us enough that he would send his son, Jesus. That he would, he would be born of a, of a human woman, Mary. That he would be uh, the son of Joseph, a sinful man, right? But God loved us enough to send his only son. That we might live through him one day. What a beautiful story. Um, we are going to sing a song here in just a few moments. Um, and I would encourage anyone that, that wants to respond, that maybe has not given their life to the Lord, um, to respond. I pray just that the Lord uh, would speak to you. Um, and I, I just pray that, uh, that you would respond in, accordingly. Because ultimately, obedience, as we just talked about, is hearing of the Lord and, re- and acting accordingly. Let me pray for us and then we will sing. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for Joseph and the example that he has set of righteousness, of obedience, and of love. Father, I pray for our congregation this morning. Father, I pray that we would hear of your word and that we would act accordingly, that we would respond. Father, and I pray uh, over the coming days and the weeks, Father, that as we, as we prepare for this Christmas season and the excitement of your son being born and sent to this earth, Father, I pray 
that we would act accordingly. Father, may you go before us as you always do. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.